In our last session, we talked about the what and when of the rapture, noting the catching up, the point of Christ's return at the end of the Great Tribulation, along with a number of other activities, including the resurrection of the Old Testament saints living in union with God through the indwelling Holy Spirit received by faith, and the New Testament church, the saints, in blood-bought relationship with Christ Jesus. That day, that one day, also includes the salvation of all Israel, an event little spoken of in the 21st century church, but strongly considered by the Old Testament writers and the Apostle Paul, especially in Romans chapter 11. That day also signals their once again regathering to the land in permanence to rule and reign with Messiah in the Millennial Kingdom. Truly, one glorious event with so many wonderful activities. Hi everyone, I'm Bill Nordstrom, and I welcome you to the program today. In this episode, I want to look more closely at where the Holy Spirit is taking the church in these critical days ahead, and what its divine mandate includes in God's plan to present a body that is literally without spot or wrinkle. It would seem the Holy Spirit has a lot of work before him to get us to that point, but his plans and purposes are always on time. It's clear from Scripture the church perfected in love will also be bold in the face of death. I know that may sound strange and disquieting to many, but the apocalyptic books of Daniel and Revelation are abundantly clear. This will be the fate of many, not all, tribulation saints. The church of the end times will be perfected through sufferings. And let me be perfectly clear. That suffering will not be initiated by the wrath of God, but clearly from the rage of Satan. It seems we, the church, have adopted a bit of tunnel vision when it comes to the rapture, the resurrection, and the return. Many have embraced a theory we will be removed seven years before the tribulation begins. Others see these tribulation events as in the past, 70 AD, when the Roman army invaded Jerusalem. Even as Israel must and will be brought to the end of their power in preparation for the revelation of Christ at his return, so too must the church be brought to the end of its power. Peter is clear. Judgment must begin in the house of God. So that raises the question, how does God intend to bring the church to its corporate fullness? Can we believe Israel will experience such redemptive glory when they see Messiah coming in his fullness at the end of the tribulation, Jacob's trouble, and believe anything less for the church at the end of hers? I don't think so. We must understand that Israel's restoration comes with Christ's return at the day of the Lord. At the very moment the church is being glorified, this epiphany of transforming revelation births the surviving nation, Israel, into the kingdom of God suddenly in one day. Listen to Isaiah 59 verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. Isaiah 66, verse 8, 
Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation, Israel, be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. And then there's Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 22. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And so many other scriptures that point to Israel's redemption at the end of the age. This is a very key scripture regarding salvation of all Israel in a day and entrance into the millennial rule and reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. Also, Romans chapter 11, verse 26. And so all, all the longest word in the Bible, and all Israel will be saved as it's written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This, my friends, is the meaning of the fullness of the Gentiles. This is the divine purpose for a church that finds itself greatly straightened and prepared for its divine mandate in the final three and a half years of this age, the Great Tribulation. We must understand not only the fact that Israel's restoration comes with Christ's return at the day of the Lord, but but why? Israel's return to the land as an holy nation clothed in righteousness that is not their own. Listen to Isaiah 45, verse 17. But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. God's very name and word are at stake in this absolute Listen to Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Verse 13, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I've spoken of I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit forever. As my friend Reggie Kelly likes to say, God's self-appointed mission impossible is to bring in once and forever the very people he first brought out of Egypt. Not only to bring them in, but but this time to invest them with an everlasting righteousness that will preserve them in the land forever. This is why Satan so resists the restoration of Israel to its covenant righteousness. Although held as a mystery for generations, the interceding, travailing church at the critical time of the end, is making known the wisdom of God to the powers of the air. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. This is about the mystery of God. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. At no place in history 
will that mandate be any more pronounced and supernaturally complete than in the time of Jacob's trouble? Satan and his legions fear and and resist redemption of the natural branches because he knows their salvation in a day at the sight of the return of the Lord marks the public vindication of his everlasting covenant with them, the end of the times of the Gentiles and Satan's tenure over the nations, as Israel's return will be life from the dead. Romans 11.15, For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Only a church in persecution, travailing and supplicating in prayer, fully embracing a spiritual intimacy and the mystery of the Father has held so closely to his breast, be up for the task ahead. Yes, not even loving their lives unto death. I can't think of a better place to see this Israel-Church connection than in Revelation chapter 12, where the mystery of Jesus solves the paradox that a nation can be transformed in a day. Listen to Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 12. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Here's the beginning point of the great tribulation. Satan cast to the earth to take up residence in a man who, who now becomes the man of sin, the Antichrist himself. In our previous sessions, we saw Satan has resisted this time and the resulting exposure. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, Jacob's trouble." This is an exact parallel to Revelation chapter 12. When Michael stands up, something happens. It happened to the prince of Persia when he waylaid the angel sent to Daniel with apocalyptic revelation. It took Michael to save the day. Verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. Verse 10 shows the true church rising to the occasion as it now experiences the absolute fullness of salvation. The accuser of the brethren has been cast to the earth. He no longer has the ear of God in accusation. Thus, the church walks in a, in a fullness of the Spirit. Can you imagine what that will be like in this troubling time of persecution to be free of Satan's lies and condemnations? Revelation twelve eleven, And they, the church, overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and did not love their lives to the death.
This is the church in its spiritual fullness, emptied of the the fleshly accusations of the enemy, free in the spirit of the mind, walking in miracles, signs and wonders, divine strategies, ministering first to the Jew and then the nations, the coming of the Son of Man. Revelation 12.12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows he has a short time. Paul, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, talked about that. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, Satan, who now restrains, will do so until he's taken out of the way. When Michael stands up, Verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Let's finish up Revelation chapter 12, with starting with verse 13. Now when the dragon, Satan, saw that he'd been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Verse 14, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she's nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Folks, that's the final three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Interestingly, Isaiah makes it clear who will provide that nourishment and protection for Israel. It'll be the daughters of Moab. Listen to Isaiah chapter 16, verse 3. Hide the outcasts. Don't betray him who escapes. Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. Revelation 12, 15. So the, the serpent spewed out water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Verse 16, but the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Not everyone is on board with these events in the Middle East and and how it's beginning to affect the nations globally. We see that in verse 17, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, with Israel, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Abundantly clear here, the Antichrist turns his rage against the church, the one and the same church who's been freed of the accusations of Satan, emptied of the flesh that that so disrupts, and overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, not loving their lives unto death. Do you see the phenomenal outworking of the prophetic plan of the uncreated God of the universe for his people, both Jew and Gentile? These are events that if you did not see them clearly revealed in Scripture, it would shake you to your foundations. He said he's going to shake everything that can be shaken. My prayer is that he get my full and undivided attention to what he's doing in the earth and, and how I should carry my heart and steward my life 
in the great and terrible days ahead. And folks, that's my prayer for you. God bless you. I'm Bill Nordstrom.